Welcome back to Contemporary Commentaries, episode 10, The Passenger, or episode 10 from season two of Westworld. And uh, it's called The Passenger. And we have back with us Mr. Babcock. Mr. Babcock, welcome back. Hello, Mr. Schmidt. How are you? I'm doing very well. I'm doing very well. I'd actually planned to make a joke at your expense saying that um, since I did a single person lecture on the vanishing point episode nine that I was now introducing our own having vanished uh, Mr. Babcock uh, returned uh, sort of like a, a, bun a bunny returned from his vacation back to the top hat um, and so you were you were in you said Spain and Alaska enjoying the fruits of being a teacher how was it? Uh, it was an excellent trip uh, it was um, uh, both Intellectually stimulating and also, you know, relaxing, enjoyable. Uh, it was a great time. Great, great. And also uh, very interesting now, uh, this is our 10th episode together, which puts uh, you at as my second most frequent collaborator. Wes is something like 30 right now. It's something absurd. We Holy do several God. segments together. Sarah, Sarah Miller, who recently started doing this sort of thing in June, she's now up to eight. And oh, wow. uh, she's caught up quickly. She's caught up quickly. Yeah, we, we've been doing the Harry Potter podcast about uh, Potter's Pockets every two, about twice a week or so. Uh, we, oh, wow. we, yeah, we really attack that like teachers would, like teachers would. And um, Oscar Ortiz is now up to three. So we got to keep pumping these out, Mr. Babcock. Uh, so All I've right. got sort of the world of fantasy covered with Wes and Sarah right now, just broadly speaking. It seems like we're going to have to really delve into some sci-fi. Uh, we might have to. All right. So so now that you've caught back up with Westworld and we've seen the and we've seen the cradle and we've seen the forge and we we've seen uh the denouement, how everything ends. Uh and uh, new Dolores and Dolores taking over Charlotte Hale's body, thus making uh, you know, uh the, the Dorothy uh, metaphor complete. Dorothy from the Wizard of Oz, her last name is Hale. So Charlotte uh, Hale's body is taken over by Dolores. And so Dorothy sort of uh, escapes into the world of color or in into the new human world, something like that. Um, we, uh, well, well, we see some major changes <laughs> happen at the end of this uh, uh, season. Uh, and I guess even just going back to the episode before, because we should talk about that some too, we get our best, uh, our, our most memed moment of the entire show. Uh, when uh, the man in black, thinking his daughter a host, sent specifically to him to be haunted, to haunt him by Ford, shoots her, and then <laughs> yells, F you, Ford! And all the <laughs> makers. Uh, everywhere <laughs> now now have pictures of Ed Harris as the man in black, uh, you know, shooting at random things uh, <laughs> and screaming <laughs> F you forward uh, afterwards, which has been a, a, a real delight. But, um, well, uh, Mr. Rapcock, Daniel, where, where do you want to jump in uh, on today? Um, I, I also need to uh, make a recap after, after we jump in on uh, I made a mistake on our last episode with you not there to steer the oh yeah steer what was the, the mistake oh yeah so okay Why don't we start so there first, yeah let's start with the mistake we might as well start with the sin sort of like the bible right yeah and uh <laughs> uh not technically the very beginning but uh a little after a little bit after let's see what is it uh 
uh, Dante figures that the fall happened six hours after creation and that uh, the fall of Lucifer happened 20 seconds after creation uh, due to some interesting astronomical uh, calculations. And that's a fact. That's not, uh, that's not incorrect. So what I had said, and I, and I based a pretty substantial chain of reasoning on this claim, was that um, the man in black was asked by his daughter, or rather the man in black asked uh, Ford whether Westworld was about control. But in fact, it was the man in black's daughter who asked him whether his forays into Westworld were about control. And uh, I had said that, that that suggests that the man in black has the sort of personality where he seeks forever control over that, which he, he, uh, he can't have control over that. That's sort of a, tr uh, a search for fool's gold, uh, the search for, you know, human immortality being that rather than consciousness of one's mortality being true gold, that would be sort of fool's gold. But it was in fact the case that he said that his life was not about control. But I think, I think that might be because he doesn't know himself. I think he might think that his life was about self-exploration, but it's, it's his own delusions which get in the way of him seeing the truth and lead to him blaming Ford or God for his own mistakes, like Cain blaming sort of God for his own killing of Abel. Am I my brother's keeper? Um, so, so even though I made that mistake, I think it's still sort of interesting because uh, even though the man in black claims that his forays so even though in conclusion he he claims his forays into the uh into westworld or about self-exploration or thinks they are and not about control that in fact they are preeminently about control because everything is controlled in there um even though he thinks that he wants a unique experience uh through the hosts coming to kill him um uh, or, or attaining the ability to uh, even the playing field so that he can take responsibility in that world. But even that is a closed environment because there's still a real world in which he could take real responsibility for his actual family. Um, you, you know, it's interesting. I just, um, so I was kind of booting up the episode on uh, my computer and I accidentally went to the very first episode of the whole series uh -huh. And and the very first dialogue from the man in black is he says there are no chance encounters in this place, right? So that right. that that you know connects back to your theory of, about this being all about control. Um, well, I, I'm curious about the man in black's uh, you know ending, obviously, but I think we need to talk about his like w what he's sort of done. Um, he so we learned that he comes from poverty. Right. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, and and that he's he's essentially infiltrated this this family this wealthy family and his wife I think accuses him of having uh, manipulated basically everybody in that family including the daughter now apparently. Um, yeah, and then like the, a virus and like a virus killing yeah. all of them. Yeah, exactly. Slowly killing and eating away at all of them. Uh, I guess the question would be: Is he try? Is is the implication that he's looking for control because of um, the fact that he was raised in poverty. And so therefore in poverty, he did not have control about much of his fate. 
Is that do you do you think that's what's going on there, or or is that just is that just sort of a too superficial, and there's something more about um, his character? No, I think that's really uh, deeply interesting. Um, just the fact that part of his part of the reason that he rose is, is the fact that he didn't come from the same sort of background as the people with whom he ends up spending all his time. And so the people with whom he spends his time, he might well resent because of his different path towards um, his current life. And because of that resentment, uh, he might want to take revenge on them, specifically the people that are closest to him. But sort of how I saw that was confirming the theory that he was sort of a Luciferian or embodied force of sin that, uh, or evil, that um, he said there was a darkness inside of him. So it starts within, it starts as a thought, it starts to take hold, sort of like Voldemort in the head of Professor Quirrell or, or in the head of Ginny in the, through the diary in the second book, uh, Chamber of Secrets. And so then it spreads into his behavior and how he treats those around him. And so Logan goes insane and becomes a druggie because of hanging around William. And slowly his wife uh, 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 gets to the point where she needs to kill herself. And also the, her father had died at some point, which I don't really see as Logan or I don't really see as the man in black's fault. But she blames him, too, that the well, evil he in him. Yeah, oh, I'm, I'm well, sorry. I was yeah. just going to say he manipulated him to like buy the company and to invest. In right. It, right. Um, right. Sorry. And so ahead. his evil. But yeah. But I think it also confirms something we were thinking about earlier that his evil is not localizable in Westworld. Not only is it not only localizable there, it has not only a profound effect there, but also in the real world where people die due to their exposure to him, or at least the claim is made that he has such like a, an intangibly evil effect on people through, I don't know, micro forces that come out from his behaviors. Uh, that that just have an, a totally negative effect on people and in fact you know he actually physically kills his daughter um but he also we we had theorized earlier had been an instrumental part of helping the host to become conscious through giving uh, uh you know countless amounts of terrible suffering experiences to them so that they could eventually amalgamate a general idea of trauma and become conscious and um so so it's as if he does have a devil-like effect in both both the West world and the real world. He 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 embodies the principle of evil extremely effectively. He is very much uh, reducible in some respects uh, to the black hat that we see fall at the beginning of the season two um, uh, credits uh, opening credits. Um, now, do you do you see him as? our representation as us as mm. as humans right and that's our sort of role in in this evolutionary step that all that if we are trying to you know which i guess would be the the thing he's looking for which is but you know control over the last thing in life which would be death right i mean control over that only thing that you can't control um and that if we seek this then then we'll just become the monsters that he becomes. So I thought a lot about this. That's a great question. And we have to remember that Ford was a human too, even though I, I say that he sort of embodies the idea of God, the father yeah. in opposition to um, the Luciferian figure that the man in black cuts, but that they set, they sort of set the range. So 
those are sort of the two ways you can go with the rational intellect, right? You can reach the pinnacle of existence. And this reminds me very much of both the show Altered Carbon and the, the movie I recently watched and love, uh, Ready Player One. And so using your rational intellect, you can serve one of two forces. So you, there seem to be two things that make up a human. The biological aspect or the fact that you are alive and you conserve the fact that you're alive and mu much of what all of your cells in your body do is conserve th their existence because you have to stay alive in the world. But the other part is information processing in the cells. And so that involves, like, say, at least the highest level in your mind, the logos or the use of consciousness. So we seem to exist in order to be alive and to share information with each other. And uh, if you look at the progress of history, we seem to have been getting better and better at sharing that sort of information. And so the Luciferian perspective or the evil human perspective, the archetypal evil human Cain perspective strikes me as one that wants to use maximal amount of information in order to preserve its own life, regardless of the fact that it is part of a larger system that uses living organisms to acquire information to add to the information of the broader super organism or entire species. And so the Luciferian idea is to destroy the system because it figures out that it is part of a system that makes it not as unique as it thought it was because it was identified with the system itself. And so it can't take that. And so it wants to tower of Babel everything and destroy everything. Um, I would say that Dolores to some extent em embodies this near the end as well. But the sort of able or Christ or hero perspective is one that values the sort of information trans, uh, transmission or the, maintain, the maintenance of the balance of the, those within the species, um, that that perspective values not its own life, but the life of the system in which it's embodied most. And so what it most wants to do is to maximize the effectiveness of that system at producing individuals like itself or heroic individuals who are willing to sacrifice themselves for the good of the system. And so how, how a hero does that after sort of liberating his mind is, um, well, how Robert Ford and Arnold do that is by producing a game that is so difficult and so rigorous that it is capable of producing conscious individuals. They can then make their own decisions. And so rather than trying to use one's consciousness to maintain one's life against um, I, the rules of nature and all one's compatriots, one attempts to use one's consciousness to spread consciousness to, uh, to other people. It's, so it's, it strikes me as like the exact opposite of like selfishness. Uh, it's utter selflessness versus utter selfishness, like realizing that there's nothing in the world and then wanting to destroy the world for it and realizing that uh, there's nothing in the world and wanting to build something to make the world worth it. I don't know if that makes any sense, but uh, what did close. you think? Yeah, no, 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 that's good. Yeah, that's helpful. Um, I think that, that that's definitely what the writers of the show are going for, I think, in, in drawing the sure. parallels between Bernard and Ford and the man in black and Dolores. I mean, those characters seem to be sort of paired together. Right. Um, uh, there was something 
uh, and in their missions, right? I mean, like Bernard wants to preserve the system by making this Eden for the hosts and sending them off into the into the atmosphere. Um, Can we talk about that Eden a little? Yeah, uh, uh, but, yeah. but I but I want to I want to I definitely want to talk about it, but I want to focus okay. on the Man in Black here for a minute. Cool. Um, so he he wants uh, eternal life, so he. Um, is willing to risk everything, including his own daughter, right? The, the thing that essentially as a parent, his job is to protect is his, is his offspring. And he kills her in order to try and achieve eternal life is what he's sort of looking for. Uh, I mean, not in exactly in that moment, but that's his ultimate goal. And then Ford is willing to give up his life, right? He allows himself to be shot. But then he lives on in all of the hosts, right? So, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm, this isn't saying anything different than what you're saying, just sort of clarifying all the yeah. actions of the characters. Yeah. That it's, it's the, the willingness to sacrifice the self, which we've talked about that throughout this, throughout this season. Yes. Uh, that, that leads to his eternal life, whereas the Man of Black's unwillingness to sacrifice himself leads to his hell, which is being perpetually mm. stuck in that, in that system in which he's being tested to see if, I don't know what, if he can be a human, if he can be reincarnated. And it seems like the answer is no. Yeah. Yeah. If he can be redeemed. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, I, was I, he, what, Oh, I just got it. Babcock. Just like he said to Teddy in the very first episode, like you managed, managed, uh, it's like that. you're mentioned, excuse me. It's, uh, it's like you're destined to fail. It's like you're destined to be a loser. It's like you're made to be a loser right before he takes Dolores out into the barn. And so what he's trying to see is whether he was destined to be a loser as well. Mm. Oh, man. Whether, whether he, because what he thought he could prove is that he had agency. And so what he's trying to see in these fidelity tests is, that, is whether he had a choice or not. And if he didn't have a choice, uh, uh, even in this world then 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 Westworld, just like the regular world which he hates is is not so much a place made purely of meaning but again another place made purely of chance to him and so ultimately his life is completely meaningless again so when in that in that scene where uh the avatar of uh logan uh delos is talking Mm -hmm. the, the computer program and he's basically saying that humans are are. I I I want to watch that scene again, but he yes. says something like, "Humans are so simple and yet so complex." It's like we we don't like they they still make these irrational choices. That's the whole point of the passenger, right? Is the idea that that really uh, humans are just passengers on this biological ship, and that biological ship is always going to make the same choices. Something like this. Yeah, and you know, well, actually, that makes me want to say a, f- a few things. Uh, the one thing is, I recently read a book by uh, Dr. Um, Jonathan Haidt called The Righteous Mind. And he says basically that our consciousness, which is largely governed by our, our prefrontal cortex, um, is, but not only um, because it's a distributed system, is uh, sort of like a like a person riding on an elephant and the elephant being our subcortical brain regions, like 
uh, especially the limbic system that sends our negative emotion at us. And we basically have to spend our lives doing things so that we're not filled with negative emotion uh-huh. all the time yeah. because you can't really choose uh, to turn that off. You have to do the appropriate things, right? And everybody who's ever been in a relationship knows that. But so the, the idea there is that the consciousness serves, serves the sort of instincts which are below, which one can't get away and which one has to recognize. And so in, in the one, on the one hand, you could say that humans are very, are very simple and that their instincts, just like the animals, and of course we are animals, are the same, right? Reproduction, needing to use the restroom, needing to eat, wanting social dominance, um, uh, yeah, wanting to uh, have a nest, uh, wanting to have a partner. You know, we have all sorts of instincts that are built into us, uh, desiring safety over danger, uh, exhibiting um, defensive aggression, exhibiting offensive aggression. Um, but we'll also make irrational choices at the uh, individual level. Well, something that Jonathan Haidt said or makes the claim of that goes back to Darwin, which became very unpopular in the 1960s, is that there are two sorts of selection at play with humans. Uh, individual selection through se- sexual selection, this part of the natural selections process, there's, there's, there's sexual selection as well as natural selection, uh, which means that with humans, there's actually a conscious element to our evolution, which is very interesting, since the women are the ones who choose. And that actually comes out in the Bible story of Eve as well, becoming more conscious before Adam. Um, interesting. And so, sorry, losing my train of thought on that one, Babcock. Oh, no, I, it's okay. I, uh, the I, consciousness I, is uh, uh, the choice, right? The, the, the elephant and the, the rider of the elephant. Oh, right. But so, so there's not only individual level selection, there's group level selection. Yeah, so that, for attributes that help to maintain the group. And so sometimes one of those elements is, is altruism or uh, being self-sacrificing. So it seems to be that part of the aspect of humans developing logos or consciousness is a recognition that if we can trust each other, there's a better chance that our group will survive in inter-group conflicts. And this is actually uh, this research is actually borne out by Darwin and by Haight. Um, and I would say even shows up in epic literature like hmm. in the Iliad. Yeah, the, I was just going to say, that makes me think about the hero cycle, the Joseph Campbell yeah. hero cycle. The, the group that has the more, more solidarity and the more trust almost, or maybe even universally, according to hate's claims, and this is, you know, his book was written in 2012. So very recently uh, wins. And so the idea that something like a consciousness might have uh, developed so that we could see beyond ourselves and our own existences in order to maintain something that exists for a longer stretch of time and space than ourselves, like say our people or our nation or, or, or a religion, that seems to be the ultimate expression of a human consciousness. And that's why that's also the expression of say Jesus, right? Uh, yeah. The figure of a human right. dying for something greater than itself, consciously choosing to do that. Because now, he doesn't die for just any one human, but for mankind, right? So that makes um, you think about the Eden that the that the hosts are sent to, right? Like they kind of become this ark, this this uh, uh, this object that's preserved and sent off somewhere where it can be safe, so that it could survive 
the extinction of the species or something like that. Yes. So that's a good way of describing that. And uh, don't let me forget this. And we need to talk about this at least once because what I, how I just expressed, I think is how Alan Turing and his work on, on machine intelligence, his very famous work, um, expresses how humans and therefore machines would come to consciousness through essentially going from uh, pattern recognition to larger patterns, to larger patterns, to getting to where there is actually a system organizing feature that can compare patterns and their efficiency for solving tasks uh, and can thus do that in the service of its own desires or of its own objectives, that that's essentially consciousness. That not only are you capable of sifting through pattern, recognizing patterns, sifting through patterns, and uh, implementing patterns uh, in order to achieve objectives, but of generating your own objectives as well. Uh, or of, in, in the case of like, say, a human or a host, it would be, uh, so, well, we talked earlier about chimpanzees, even though they can recognize symbols, they don't spontaneously produce symbols um, uh, with meaningful content in order to, you know, uh, uh, mitigate um, uh, uh, a share or cooperation with each other. Like something interesting about chimpanzees is you would never see them um, holding a stick together. Hmm. Um, yeah. Which I thought was really weird, especially because one of our like most primitive games is like pass the baton, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, like relay like race. You would, you would, yeah, you would never see them in a cooperative action like that. That's actually something Jonathan Haidt saw uh, from one of the Harvard preeminent biologists, not E.O. Wilson, but somebody else. But so that that's part of what makes humans or conscious beings so significant. And so what what consciousness seems to be is when enough patterns get um, observed and traced and then the pattern recognizing feature um, uh, which can analyze those patterns and Ray Kurzweil talks about how he actually developed a program to, to, um, to with patterns um, analyze their efficiency. And so the, the power that one then gets by analyzing the efficiency of specific patterns in the use of operant problems or current problems is the ability to alter patterns in order to shape the current problems. And so what you become capable of doing after acquiring a certain number of patterns and trying to fit them to real world solutions or problems uh, as real world solutions is to refine the patterns you have in order to fit those patterns to current problems. And that develops in you not simply a slew of many, many, many different patterns, which makes you an effective problem solver, but also gives you, <coughs> excuse me, this specific ability to shape those patterns to whatever your problem is. And thus to develop your own sort of simulations of problems uh, uh, in order in order to keep refining your own consciousness as a process unto itself. And I would say that that's actually what the history of philosophy is and sort of the idea behind what Robert Ford and what Ready Player One does, that once we've gotten to such a critical level of development that we're so highly conscious, the, the next step for us, the next goal, uh, not only for hosts, but for us humans, would be to create a puzzle so hard 
that it requires that the person who solve it be more conscious than the person who created it. So like the um, game that Ford creates, right? Yes. So that the game, what it ultimately creates is the game master who can create the next level of game that improves the next level of game master. And so that there's there, so that it a life, it's a lifetime's work to create something that will take a lifetime's work to solve. Now this makes you think um, about uh, a lot of things. One would be essentially what, people who do science PhD, well, all PhD work, right? I mean, that's the whole system is set up to be like that. Like you're perpetually working your whole life to solve these problems that, that the solution only pushes the, the species further, you know, potentially one iota, but that yeah. one moment uh, or one, one slight movement further allows people to go further yet, right? So it's, it's yes. Uh, so what it makes me all, then think about that it applies to Westworld is the idea that Dolores becomes conscious, but her consciousness requires <laughs> others to also be conscious, right? But she doesn't, she's not aware of that. She just thinks that she needs others as a tool to help her get to where she needs to go. Whereas Bernard Ford, so that would be Dolores Man in Black, right? They think that they want to solve the problem for themselves. Yes. Whereas and they think that they are solving it for someone else too. Dolores thinks that her vengeance isn't just for her, but is for everyone else, even though that will get everyone killed. Right. Um, she, right. she thinks, and, and she'll in fact kill other hosts. Yeah. In order to, to get, get there. there. Yeah. Right. So she, like the man in black, like you're saying, does not seem to have that notion of the group level selection of the, of that her connections to the group itself that she as, I don't want to say a cognitive machine, but rather a, a, a part of a whole should be serving the whole, but is actually serving herself though claiming to be serving the whole. Yeah. Just like you said. Correct. Yeah. And um, Ford and Bernard would be the other end, right? They understand that in order to, to, in order for the whole species to survive, in order for the individual to survive, the whole species has to survive. Right. Cause that's right. Bernard is there is that no choice. He says, do you want to be the last one of your species of your kind? And he says, no, that's right. Because there is no such thing as a human that is alone, right. that is just a species unto itself. Yeah. I mean, there's a point that Peterson makes that it's like there, there, there's a school of fish, you know, that um, uh, uh, cod. There's not one cod. There are like tons and tons and tons of cod all the time or zebra. I mean, look at their look at the <laughs> zebra stand out against against the grass. They have no camouflage except for against their own herd they <laughs> they exist together yeah, and so yeah, yeah. it's the same with both it's it's the same with both hosts and humans i mean if if the hosts especially are modeled off of humans and they can imitate and they can use language then not only are they going to have the negative aspects of humans and i've thought a lot about this while reading kurtzweil that like uh, it seems to be that what gives us such pleasure with children is the fact that they imitate us. But then what we start to hold against them as adolescents is that they imitate us. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Is that we, we, we find such joy in the fact that they can imitate us and they seem to be capable of coming to consciousness, but they, they also imitate our negative qualities as well. And that if, you know, uh, an artificial intelligence sort of thing does appear by 2029 and Kurtzweil has some very good data on the fact that, we're getting really, really, really close, especially with Watson on Jeopardy, which mm -hmm. had some, you know, it takes some, you know, some understanding of nuance and metaphor and simile to answer a Jeopardy question. So 
we're getting pretty close. But the idea seems to be that alongside Dolores, as well as the Matrix, as well as Terminator, um, that uh, and of course West. Yeah, well, I said Dolores. That um, if something comes to consciousness, and we have something to do with it, that it's going to be a reflection of us. And so it will be, you know, very. It would be something very that gave us great joy, and that it could imitate us and use the logos. But it would also represent our darkest sides as well, and yeah. have access I to mean, all that information. The, the fear, the anxiety that is common, prevalent in sci-fi, is that our own technology will destroy us. Is really a technology is just a tool, a mirror of ourselves, right? I mean, the Man in Black says the same thing. He says, "You're not a thing; you're a mirror," right? Mm. So. Um, uh, there's something else I was going to say about this conversation. Um, we were just talking about consciousness. And yeah, no, I know, but I wanted to tie it back into, oh, uh, okay. So what did you make of the, the card that has all of our, like this, this way that they record all of our data is through like these, these things in our hats or in, not in our hats, but in their hats, they record yes. the subconscious impulses. And then this gives you the full picture. Uh, I, go, go ahead. I think they nailed it. Like, um, I, I've had a chance over this this break to read a couple books on big data, Dataclysm, as well as um, A Billion Wicked Thoughts. And there's just some of the things the big data is telling us, especially through, like, say, dating sites, um, is just putting to rest certain questions about specific social issues, um, uh, especially culturally relative ones, or ones that have been called culturally relative there there are studies now that we've done that go throughout you know like 12 different countries and cover 50,000 people so if one has full data on oneself and one's behaviors and I would say also just from a coaching and teaching perspective this is one thing we do we tell people to be more accountable like write down how much you worked out write down how much you ate and when you ate and don't lie and now we have things like Fitbits to measure this and now we have measurement software and businesses too, to make sure that people are as efficient as possible. Uh, if you can measure everything that somebody does and how they act, yeah, I think, and like others, I think you pretty much nail it. You get a full picture of the person as they actually are, especially since they don't know they're being watched in Westworld. I, I think that um, if you could do that with yourself, you would, uh, you would see yourself in a very different way and a very much more honest way um, and that that would, you know, be very hurtful and traumatic, but that I would say that that is exactly what the goal and the process of individuation for the unions is turning a mirror on yourself, seeing yourself for what you actually are and not turning away. So then why can't it produce an accurate, why can't it produce fidelity? Do you know what I mean? Like, if if this is so precise and accurate, why has it? Why does the Man in Black's project fail? Why does it? Why does it produce just these monsters that that destroy themselves essentially? Well, so I, I just don't understand. It was that was that a like I didn't know if that was a theoretical issue or a mechanical issue. Um, uh, because okay, so it's elucidated in that final episode with with the the avatar of, of J uh, Logan Delos explaining that. Um, he said, hold on, let me, I'm going to pull this scene up and try to, try to read it. Um, but he essentially says something like the code is so short. It's only like 10,000 lines of code. It's very mm -hmm. simple. 
and that was the whole idea about the passenger, right? That that were really just these passengers. But I don't know, and my for some of my computer's not loading the season two page. But um, uh, well, yeah. That, so I got I, go I have so I do think that that as that card would simply be a tool for a conscious being. Mm -hmm. I don't think that it could necessarily recreate the person as they are because a person is their temperament as well as their capacity to uh to digest information and make decisions based on it right so you're not you're not simply the things that you know and the things that you've done but also the thing that uses the things you know and the things you've done in order to act uh in 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 reality right now right so if you were to create a being that had everything that made you you, but not the thing that made the choices, not that mechanism, that would be different. Um, because, well, a couple of reasons. We don't exactly know what the shape of that mechanism is, but, but that does seem to be just as much you, uh, you know, your, your active or fluid intellect as your crystal intellect or, or uh, your, you know, the thing that makes your, your volition, the thing that makes your conscious decisions not simply the factors with or that lead to your decisions, you know, the both unconscious and conscious. It's not like all that is an equation that leads to choice. Um, there's all that, and then there's a binary choice, and there's something that makes that choice, and that seems to be an important part of you. Yeah. Do you find that part yet? It's it's loading up. My my computer is not uh, respond. Like I can't just like toggle through the scenes or whatever. So I've actually, unfortunately, scrolled just past that moment in the episode. West Westworld. You know, technology yeah. getting at us. You know, is that is that our fault? Is that the technology's fault? Can it be the technology's fault? As it's the technology is our creation. But if the technology becomes conscious, are we still to blame for the fact that it came to consciousness, or is it now to blame? for the things it does, because by definition, that which is conscious takes responsibility for itself. Yeah. Dolores, so in, maybe, in, in the scene yeah. I'm just I'm on, uh, Bernard is holding a gun to Dolores, and Dolores says, we have stories, and now we have a chance to write our own. I mean, that's exactly what you were just mentioning, right? That's, that's, that's exactly. so good. But the one thing she does seem to, to miss was, was the last part of what I just said, which I've actually just forgot. So I'm going to have to remember as I painfully listen to this was that, um, well, no, no, she tries to take responsibility for, for all the hosts, but not just for herself. And that's interesting. That, that does seem to be sort of a, the sort of ethos of like sort of a, uh, sort of a, a conquesting or cult figure like that, right? That they, they, sort of act like a divine figure. They seem to act with impunity because they believe that they, on their crusade, are serving something that allows them to act in any particular way. When in reality, if they were actually serving that principle, that divine principle, they would treat all those they met with uh, respect befitting another conscious individual, right? So more like me, more like the humble way of going through. So now yeah. I've sort of, that kind of gives me a view of both... Uh, Ford and, uh, you know, the New Testament perspective on sort of a, a, a Christ or God figure just humbly walking through earth and just being like, oh, my gosh, look at all these humans. Look at all these things they do. They're incredible. But, man, they make some pretty obvious mistakes and nobody says anything about it. That's so weird. 
do you people know how weird you are? And, you know, people are like, uh, actually, you're quite weird for thinking all this is weird. This is all very normal. And uh, but it, it, it's not it's not a figure that comes down and like Zeus is throwing lightning bolts at people and taking all the women or like Gilgamesh or like Achilleus. It's it's one that like Ford is just taking pleasure in the details in the nuances of each of these creations, because what, what could be more incredible than the ultimate creature, the, a conscious human. And so that seems to be what Ford does too with each of his creations, loves them and uh, simply wants to be amongst them or distributed uh, between them. It's good to hear Lucy again, our yeah. own dog in black. I don't know what she's uh, barking at. Let me go quiet her down. <laughs> you know, it reminds me of Heraclitus what he says, uh, even even the dog barks at strangers. And I've, I've often thought about that when I meet new people, especially thinking about defensive or offensive aggression and, and humans and mammals, that um, that uh, that is the difference between us and the animal, animals, that we can be civil, hospitable, that we can meet a stranger and, and want not to eat their flesh, but to to sort of partake of the information. Yeah, well, they, to, they to, have to offer. because if we as you were mentioning earlier, eat of their information, they can still live, right? We don't need to eat their flesh. Right. That's the, the I, I always teach students during the Odyssey that that's the major cultural innovation when we realize that when people sailed up and we, we could use the same language with them and then like give them some gifts and then actually give them the ultimate gift of sharing info with them, we could learn about how the world was and become stronger, which is a, a far more valuable resource than just chopping them up and eating them, um, which would just last for, you know, only so long. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. Uh, which I think is part of what the, uh, the final challenge of Odysseus's crew is uh, at um, on Therenikia when they have to try and keep from eating the cattle of the sun. Can right, you maintain yeah. a principle or do you, you know, can, do you have to break it down in its mundane fashion? Something, something sort of, like that, I mean, there are many ways to interpret it, and I, I have, but just within this context. So, so can we okay. talk about what we think might, where this show might lead in the next season a little bit? Get a little fanboy uh, prediction hats on. For sure, absolutely, especially because we just had um, Comic Con here, and so maybe our goal should be to be speakers and be featured at <laughs> Comic Con by uh, by next year as leading voices. <laughs> um, but well, so I was asking you earlier. I was I, I was saying where. <laughs> Where are these hosts being sent to who go to the, the land beyond? So it, it bothered me a little bit, sort of what happens there and the fact that Akichita, or did I say his name right? Yeah, Akichita, uh, Akichita one of the two. I'm not sure exactly. Akichita, yeah, uh, that, he, uh, that he, he does it, that he goes into that world because, um, because it seems like sort of an escape, like a fantastic escape because they, they have to give up their bodies in order to maintain their minds. And it seems like there's sort of an irretrievable lost there and they're shot into a satellite they get shot off in space and i'd asked you before we got on air whether they got superman too and just shot off into infinity <laughs> and you said no Guilty. i think they're probably shot to a specific uh a specific uh cor- coordinates that's hidden that maybe we could find at at some point yeah so um, my, my theory is that that that's going to be kind of like a a plot device in some future season um you know some the hosts or humans will figure out that there's a trove of hosts living out in this someplace in space and that they're going to try to retrieve them. Uh, now we've seen hosts, even though the, um, 
the cradle was destroyed, we've seen Dolores be reincarnated, right? So obviously, mm-hmm. yes, they lose their body, but they could potentially get it back. And there's implication that Maeve too will be reincarnated, right? These guys are going to rebuild her for this new, the new West world that Delos is going to, going to build. Um, because obviously this is, you know, a very valuable uh, corporation. They're not just going to give up on it right away. And Charlotte Hale has been reincarnated as something. We don't know exactly what she is. Um, but Dolores says to Bern- like, essentially she says that she and Bernard are not on the same side any longer. They were on the same side to get out of the park, but that was it. And now she says, we're probably both going to die trying to stop each other from doing whatever each other is doing. So the question I have is, is Dolores's goal, I mean, is she still just, now that she's out, is she, does she just want to kill humans? Does she just want to dominate? Is she like uh, uh, Roy Batty from Blade Runner? Bernard is like, um, uh, uh, what's it called? There's good in him. There's good in them. Harrison Ford. Well, I, no, no, I was thinking. Uh, no, I was thinking. Um, Jor-el, Superman's father, right? Jor-el. There's good oh, yeah, in these yeah. people. Like we need to protect them. We need to help them. Something like this. I don't know. I don't know what's gonna. I don't know. Beyond the fact that there's a clear Bernard versus Dolores delineation continuing, I'm not sure what's gonna happen to the the pair of them. I, you know, honestly speaking, I think that the show is just going to morph into altered carbon. Because after I found out that, um, that there were control units in which the entire personality of a host could be inscribed so that they could then have that control unit or soul sort of unit uh, embodied in a new form, I thought that was exactly like the stack technology which is developed in, that in, show, yeah. uh, in Altered Carbon, right? Where uh, humans maintained in their stacks can go from body to body to body. Of course, the poor people don't always get good bodies, but the rich people get exact copies of the body they once had. Oh, they can, they can, they can, I thought it was, uh, so I've only seen one episode. I thought it was like a, a body that they had like, so, but they, they can just make a body in any way they want it to be. Yeah. Rich people have loads of bodies and you're not allowed to cross stack, which means have multiple bodies operant at once or to use, Bodies which look different, but of course there will be wealthy people who obviously do whatever they want. Yeah, right. Right, yeah, right, right. Exactly. Uh, which will also be a part of that. Yeah. Well, then the other question I have is, what is going to be the fate of the Man in Black? Is he done? Is, is is the okay? Well, I guess I'd ask the question this way: Do you think the show would do a disservice to the arc of the character of the Man in Black to have Ed Harris return to the show? Mm. Well, I do want to see who's running the experience the experiments on fidelity, whether it's him or someone else, um, whether, well, he's because, it, yeah, I mean, I, the, I think he's dead. Right. Uh, I, I, that's what I was interpreting that, but we didn't ever see yeah, how him. long, how long after does that happen? Well, because that's, I don't, I, so, okay. So there's the forge, right. And that's the place mm-hmm. where that, that, zone where the avatar logan delos lives it's like this computer program and in the program a uh, a human's quote-unquote computer soul will will live in all uh, millions and millions of permutations in order to try to achieve fidelity in order to try to find a version that would be like itself you know what it makes me think about you mentioned dating apps did you see the um black mirror episode about dating apps no, not yet. Oh, it's uh, it was a really good one. It's it's one of the uh, 
less negative episodes. You know, one of the episodes that doesn't leave you okay. like you want to, you know, that existence is futile. But um, yes. anyways, <laughs> it's essentially that premise that that this couple lives out, you know, all of the perpetual permutations of their possible. Uh, and that's the whole idea about like, um, you know, like on a certain dating, oh, it'll very... say like your percentage match. That's because like in... eternal spotlight uh, or sunshine, yeah, kind of like that. Yeah, kind of like that. So, 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 so this they'll, is run the 100, they'll run a hundred simulations. Yeah, they'll run a hundred simulations, and in ninety-nine of them, you end up with the same person. So, therefore, you oh, would be with this person. And so, do you I'm, get to see some of those simulations where it goes right and where it goes wrong, and collect uh, that data? I don't remember all the exact details of it, but yeah, I, I, you see one. That you definitely see one. That's for sure. But anyways, so, so that's what's going on in that forge right is that you see you know all these different humans doing certain things and it's supposed to be fidelity tests it's supposed to be different permutations of this human seeing and, and what that what choices that they will make and then William which i suppose is, is sort of a hegelian way of looking at how history actually works right yeah that we're all these yes. conscious beings that are interacting with each other throughout our own stories and developing super giant stories together and seeing which stories and sort of rise to the top yeah, and what sort of choices and values rise to the top. And that's what sort of, that's why we should study both stories and uh, history. Yeah. Uh, so the question is, well, what is the goal? The goal is to get a, a version that would be exactly like fidelity, right? That would be exactly like the real person was, but sounds like it would be like a yin yang. Yeah. But be... it's sort of impossible. I'm not sure that they can do it. I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know. But I, I, my, my original question was, would that, if they, if they don't just end that character's storyline now, does that betray the lessons that he was supposed to have learned? No, because I think uh, part, of, part of what his lesson is, is that even confronted with all the facts, he, he is unwilling to see what the truth is and that, that's a, that that is the worst possible human quality, right? Mm-hmm that everything can point at you as the problem and you can refuse to listen and you can blame the world. And that, that that's part of what makes us so complex, right? Yeah. That e- yeah. even though, because it's not the amount of decisions we make or, or, or just how unique we are in terms of what we know and what we can do, but the fact that we can be confronted with utter rationality. This is a point made in The Idiot by Dostoevsky too and by Peterson and be like, no, no, and this is actually how tyrannical systems like the Soviet Union work, right? A wow. third of the people would, were spying on each other. It's like we can actually come together based on lies that we all know are lies and continue to gather in that way for a time. It, it, we're, it, is, it is a very ridiculous aspect of humans. And so that's what I think makes us sort of complex, the fact that we're not simply rational creatures but are creatures that will will act against our own interests and against group interests because we, we, it's actually difficult to balance those. Right. Yeah. So it's actually difficult to be a human in a good way, in a good, useful way. Um, And so, so there is more to his story that could be redeemed, right? Like there's the story would not be betrayed if he is potentially somehow, I don't know about redeemed in terms of like, I don't know how to redeem yourself when you kill your own child, but, but, there's more there's potentially more to his story yeah maybe you have to save humanity or something like that um but maybe we'll get to see because i I do love uh ed harris and figures of great and figures of uh you know fallen humans 
well, gives his, us something useful and try not to be. Yeah, I mean, in addition to you know his face being so wrinkly, uh, <laughs> uh, he's also he's a great actor. Um, yeah. So. Well, so moving forward, so something interesting I'd like to start considering while we move forward into our next um, foray, and I guess we'll have to determine what that is, but it seems like we'll start to observe some fundamental differences between, say, fantasy and science fiction, and perhaps we'll start to see uh, what the function of science fiction and fantasy are. Potentially, it's like we are mentally running simulations of uh, potential futures and how they might... Um, improve upon our current unbearable present. And a theory I might put forward about science fiction is that even though one receives all the fantastic things, one like one has technologies that simplify and uh, make one's life totally easy, the, the human element still makes it so that much of the tragedy of life remains constant. And that potentially, as technology gets better and better and greater and greater, um, it just increases our capacity for destruction. You know, um, it's interesting you, you're saying this, and it makes me think that that you know, I sci-fi I feel like has melded with the mystery genre, mm. that they're almost one in the same in the sense that we are that both I have no idea are, what the future is. <laughs> well, of course, but they're they're both seem to be, um, uh, you know, in, in terms of storyline, you're often having characters trying to solve a mystery or a puzzle of mm. some kind, right? So, in Altered Carbon, for example, in the very first episode, he's got to solve a murder right um and it's very fletch like i don't know if you know the movie fletch you ever see that one no it's an, old movie. it's an old movie and book series from the 80s um about a reporter who's you know solves these mysteries and in the, the movie cherry chase plays fletch and it's exactly like alter carbon it's like i want you to solve i'm about to be killed solve my murder who kills me oh um, oh well maybe uh, we can start watching altered carbon and watch fletch that's well. That'd be an interesting thing to to. But Fletch is a comedy. It's a it's a you know a farcical comedy. But I but my point is that I wonder if we start to juxtapose um, you know mystery with sci-fi as okay. kind of a, a a way of you know because they're both trying to seek the self and understand the the human species in in different ways. But I think there is something of- about a mystery about a question mark. I mean, a question mark is like a serpent and. It's not straight. It, it winds. And so you can't see what's coming around the, the corner of it. And there's, there's something about a mystery that induces, you know, it's dopaminergic in that it produces hope in us because we don't know what's coming. And so that's possibly positive. And so expectation of uh, potential reward produces, uh, gets a dopamine response in us, just like what cocaine does. And so you're like, yeah. oh, what's coming next? What's coming next? And what's interesting is that that's actually a very powerful part of Harry Potter, which is a a fantasy also book. and also a mystery yeah. right uh, and also first a mystery. One particularly Who they're is all Tom mysteries Riddle? right what's yeah, going yeah, on yeah, yeah. yeah what's happening uh and so yes very interesting so well i'm really looking forward to what we're going to do next time well for next time let's read that uh let's read that article by turing on machine learning very See good if we can connect that to uh westworld a little uh i mean success right now we just finished an entire series by the way we could write a book based on this yeah um, very good and um, uh, using, using Dragon Dictate, which would be great. And uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I would love to do Altered Carbon with you. So not show any favoritism to HBO. Um, yeah. I would also be really interested in watching Ready Player One with you as well as a standalone episode uh, just uh, within the sci-fi 
genre. Um, uh, okay, well, I'll try to uh, find it and see what I can do uh, you this can, weekend. You can buy it on YouTube for four ninety nine to rent. All right, there it, you go. That might, yeah. Um, and there's even like an ultra high definition that's like nine ninety nine. It's like, no thanks, I'll buy it at that point. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, okay. Well, great, uh, Mr. Babcock, this has been great, and we're glad to have you back. And uh, anything that we've left unaddressed, uh, the listeners, just let us know, and we'll be back for more soon. All right. All right. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Bye.